Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Be Honest. So I'm often asked by so many different folks, so how did you start in this business? Who do you like? What do you love? And it's namely women, women who trailblaze, women who did what I did far better than I do it now. One of which is here with me now. I am a fan. She is a friend and also a colleague. Jackie Mack, you may know her as Jackie McMullen. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I appreciate it. I am it. honored to be on your podcast. She's honored. I'm honored. Okay, so Jackie, uh, we all know your work. Uh, you are considered one of the foremost, if not premier. I'm not just saying that to say that. You are well respected in this business by everyone, specifically in basketball. And you wrote a book. It's called Basketball, A Love Story. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the the genesis, if you will. So I didn't realize I loved basketball to my junior high school. I played so much later than everybody else. But once it took hold of me, Carrie, it never, ever let go of me. I ended up playing basketball well into my 50s, longer than I should have. And so that when this concept came up, Dan Cloris, the great filmmaker, had this idea about basketball, a love story. It was what is it about this game that takes hold of these men, women, foreigners, college coaches, high school coaches, pro coaches? What is it that about that game mm. that grabs hold of you and, 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 as Kevin Durant says, makes the gates of heaven open mm. up? So I thought it would be a great project to be involved in, and it was just fascinating to list, listen to some of the greatest people in the game who love the game so much and how they persevered because they love the game through some sure. terrible things, yeah. but also through some, some of the greatest moments of their lives. You've interviewed a lot of people in this book that are absolutely amazing. So if you had to pick, and I know there's so many great there's stories. So many. I know, right? So right. pick one story that, that really stuck with you and you said, uh-huh, this is exactly why it's a okay. Story. So we're talking about trailblazing women. Yes. So Nancy Lieberman is a trailblazer. Yes. Nancy Lieberman grew up in a house that she's hilarious in this book, talking about her mother. Uh, they, her parents had gone through a divorce. One day the lights went out. She looked at her brother. She said, what's happening? He said, we're poor. The lights are out. We're poor. <laughs> she said, I'm not poor. He said, yeah, you're poor. Uh-huh. You're poor. And she's thinking, I gotta, I gotta figure out a way to get out. So basketball's her way out. Her mom's running around the house puncturing her basketballs because she's dribbling in the house all day. So she decides to go to the famed Rucker Park to play. But she's a, she's a little girl. Mm-hmm. So she gets a big jacket and she stuffs it full of toilet paper and stuff and she gets on the subway looking real mean in case anybody tries yeah. to bug her. And yeah. she gets to the park and they're all looking. They're like, what do you want, little girl? And she's like, your name Rucker? No. Well, good. That ain't your park. Yeah. I want to play. <laughs> I just I love, love that story because she ended up becoming great friends with them. And she's one of the greatest players of all time, of male or female. Male or female. And she's done yeah. it on both sides. So we appreciate who she is. If, if you were to if you were to say to someone and they're reading this, this not necessarily as a basketball fan, but just as someone who's a casual sports fan, what would they walk away from? I think they would walk away realizing the dedication it takes to be the greatest and to be the best at anything. But also, if you don't love the game, mm. you never will be one of the best because it has to consume you. Otherwise, you get distracted, just like all the rest of us do in everyday life. You know, I hear all the greats and, you know, say things like Tom Brady said, if you want to beat me, you got to give up your life because I gave up my life. Right, you know that's how right. Michael Jordan feels. That was his wife. Like, right. his, everything else was his mistress. Everything, like basketball was what that's I it. love, nothing else. That's it. Um, and you had the opportunity to cover some of the greats. And I have to talk to you. I, I would be wrong if I didn't bring up Boston and your relationship with that city, uh, right. the Celtics, and, and how you perceive that franchise. Well, so I'm a, I'm a young writer when I go to the Boston Globe in 1982 and the Celtics, have, they're, they're just coming off winning a championship. It's the beginning of the Larry Bird era with McHale and Parrish and, 
And I got to be sort of the 20th man in, or woman in, if you will, for the first few of those years. And then they were just such a part of our fabric, not just our sports fabric, the community. They, they had such a large presence in the city. Yeah. And, of course, Boston has a very complicated racial history. Mm. And uh, one of the things that always bothered me was when it was L.A. versus Boston. People like to make it black versus white. Mm-hmm. And as I got to know both Irvin and Larry through the years and ended up doing a book with them, neither one of them ever saw it that way. They were colorblind. They were going to bash your head in no matter what color you were. <laughs> and so it, they became a very interesting franchise for me to be around. I think that the, they didn't see it that way, but I do believe that probably the fans may have well, seen certainly, it Well, certainly. Boston way. deserved a lot of its reputation. Uh, but I think over time, the city of Boston has grown. And having as someone who grew up there uh, and is sensitive to the criticism of the city of Boston, sure. sometimes I don't think they get credit for the evolution that is taking mm. place. Now, I understand. I've talked to enough African-American athletes who played in Boston or visited and played there and were treated poorly. So it's not that I have a blind eye to it. It's just that I think if you ask, for instance, today, if you ask Kyrie Irving how he felt or Mookie Betts how he felt or uh, Hightower, you know, I mm-hmm. think they've had a pretty positive experience. Mm-hmm. Big Poppy is one of the biggest stars in Boston Red Sox history, and he's Dominican. So I think we've... They love like you. We, I'd like to think we've yeah. shared that interest. Yeah. If you win... They love you. The city's going to love you forever. And no matter what. I have to then, you bring up Kyrie. Um, and as you mentioned, you've covered the Celtics for some time now. When you think of the Celtics now and all the, all the hubbub and all mm-hmm. the talk about how they're coming out of the East and they're the best ever, and then you think about a guy by the name of Danny Ainge, famed Celtics now in charge. Mm -hmm. How do you see this team moving forward? Well, they're in a great position and they've struggled this year. There's no question about it. They've underperformed. But I think so much of that is because players learning to adjust to new roles. That was part of it. But also I look at Gordon Hayward who had that catastrophic injury last Mm -hmm. year and he's not right. He's not right physically and he's not right mentally yet. Mm -hmm. And I think he will get there. And it's funny, I was talking to Kyle Lowry about this from the Raptors and he told me, oh, he won't be right till April. Because they've all seen it before, these guys. They've seen these kind of injuries. Paul George, remember, with the horrific broken leg. So I think the way the Celtics look at us, well, if we can get Gordon even close to what he was before the injury come April, we're going to be one of the best teams. And Kyrie Irving, of course, is is the guy that's driving that train. I am so impressed, Kerry, with what he's done on the court this year. We know he can score. He's one of the most lethal weapons I've ever seen. But the way he's distributing the ball yeah. and defending, you know, he always got the rap. Well, he, he'll yeah. score all day, okay, but he, but won't guard, <laughs> he won't guard anybody. And, you know, as I haven't looked recently, but a few weeks ago, yeah. he was among the top five guards in defense. He was, he was defending better than Russell Westbrook and guys like that. So this is, he's taking this very seriously. You've got, everybody's seen the Nike ad. I want, I want yes. to be the last person. That, I believe that. Really? I believe that with him. This is He's on a mission to prove he can lead a team. And that's been bumpy for him. I've had many conversations with him. He, he told me once, I just didn't know this was going to be so hard. This uh-huh. week, this I think that's be. funny, and it's ironic. Yeah. And oh, I'm glad you bring that up, because he had some interesting things to say about his, his, his teammates a few weeks ago. Right. Uh, I want to listen to it and get your take. Okay. What is missing in this team in order to get there? Experience. Yeah. Is there any where you can put your finger on with, I guess, the ups and downs? Experience. It's the best thing I can say is experience. We're lacking it, and because of that, we have a lot of uh, learning to do. So we have a lot of ground to make up and um, in that aspect. 
So this is after Jason Tatum misses a, a possible game tying shot. shot. He won. Yeah, and that Kyrie wanted. And I see yeah. him doing this and talking. Right, right. And I can't help but to think of uh, the time when he was a Cav and it would be LeBron doing this no, that's and talking. It. Absolutely. I mean, it's so funny with the role reversal. What was your take on that? Well, so that was Kyrie's lowest moment as a Celtic, and but he knew it instantly. So I'll give him credit for that. You can't call out your teammates publicly. He had had a, a pretty verbal conversation with Brad Stevens in the huddle before that. So all of those things weren't great. And to keep calling out the young players, it, it, I thought Jalen Brown made a great point afterwards. It's not the young players. It's not the old players. It's all of us. Mm-hmm. And I think Kyrie realized, you know what? I did some things I should have done. I said some things I shouldn't have said. But here's one thing I will say. And I'm the, fa- I'm the president of the Brad Stevens fan club. Yeah. I don't blame Kyrie for being mad. Why? If I'm, because if I'm Kyrie Irving and I'm playing the way I'm playing and we need a, a shot at the end of the game, I don't care who, I don't care if Jason Tatum's wide open under the basket, I'm getting Kyrie Irving the ball. So I don't blame him for being upset. What I do blame him for is letting us all see it and calling out his teammates and his coach. Okay, so let me put a pin in this because I want to circle back and this is a, a roundabout way. Why, in your opinion and from what you're hearing, did Kyrie want to leave Cleveland? Well, it was definitely because he didn't feel on there. He told me, I did a story on this last year, a pretty extensive story on it, and he told me they didn't want me. And what happened was when they started to hear that, you know, first of all, they wanted to know what's LeBron's future. Before I figure out what my future is, is LeBron staying? Is he going? What's going to happen? LeBron wouldn't tell anybody, so the Cavs couldn't tell him. And the Cavs were considering, they were shopping Kyrie Irving trying to figure out if they, they could get a combination of things that would keep LeBron here. Now, mm. I asked LeBron point blank, and he said, I did not want Kyrie Irving to be traded. Kyrie Irving believes that to be false. Now, maybe by now, because now that they're on the, they're, they're, uh, they're buddies. Pals now, they're yeah. that, maybe that's changed. <laughs> but at that moment, Kyrie felt like they don't want me here. I'm going to go somewhere where I can have my own team. I got to get out from under LeBron's shadow. Okay, was it out from under LeBron's shadow or out from under LeBron? Because we would see these images of him on the sideline and LeBron would be Mm -hmm. literally, you know, telling his team whatever he's saying. Sure. I don't think he was berating them, but we know the greats do that. And so, so was he, was he tired of working with someone who was such a, a, not even a tyrant, but just someone who was a taskmaster, or was he really trying to get away from his shadow? I think both, and I, and I really honestly think if you think about Kyrie Irving, when you think about Cleveland winning that championship, LeBron finally brings a championship to Cleveland. It was Kyrie. Who hit the shot, man? It was Kyrie. It was Kyrie, and you know what? So many times, if you watch them play, and again, I don't blame LeBron. LeBron's one of the greatest players that ever lived, but there'd be times Kyrie's standing and waiting, 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 and still waiting. So if you're Kyrie, you say, I believe enough in my abilities to think, I can do better than this. I'm going to bet on myself and say I can run a team. I can be a LeBron for someone else. And the irony is some of the behavior we've seen in Boston it's exactly. He learned how to be a leader under LeBron, which I find to be the funniest thing. And right. then cut to Kyrie saying this a few days ago. Right. I had to uh, call Bron, you know, and tell him, like, you know, I apologize for being that young player that wanted to everything at his, you know, at his fingertips. And I wanted everything to uh, be at, you know, my threshold. I wanted to be the guy that led us to change. I wanted to be the leader. I wanted to be all that. And, you know, the responsibility of being the best player in the world and leading a team is something that's not meant for many people. And Bron was one of those guys that came to Cleveland and tried to really show show us what it's like to win a championship. And it was hard for him. And uh, sometimes getting the most out of the group. It's not the easy, easiest thing in the world. You know, I feel like the best person to call was him because 
you know, he's been in the situation. You know, he's, he's been there with me where I've been the young guy of you know, being a 22-year-old kid and, you know, wanting everything. I think what that brought me back to was like, all right, how do I get the best out of this group of the success they had last year and then helping them realize what it takes to win a championship. I am tickled. Great job to our producer putting that all together. I am tickled by all of that because just what you said, it is really, really the same behavior. It's like looking in the mirror, but just on different teams. Why do you think that Kyrie felt the need to share that with the media who he knew would run with this story? Well, it's interesting because he said all that after the biggest win of the year against Toronto when they everyone's wondering again, here they go again. And you could argue the finest game that maybe Kyrie Irving's ever played in his life. So the interesting thing is he said all these things. That dwarfed the performance on the no court. One, who'd you play? No one was even talking the about Raptors that. The Raptors beat them great. Right, right. <laughs> and so that was kind of interesting. I do think there's a lot of cynics out there that believe Kyrie did this to spin himself away from what I just said were probably the, the first, the worst week of his career in terms of some of the things he said and did. And really, this was a great way to, mm. to take that away. I, what, I, what I'm not sure about is how did his teammates feel about it? Mm. Because there was a lot about Kyrie in that mm. and maybe not enough about his teammates. Mm. So I, I think the jury's still out. Yeah, he's still learning. But I, I'll tell you what. Let's take the stuff off the court, the comments and some of the gestures. He's having the greatest the greatest year of his career. He's been unbelievable. You know who's unbelievable, unbelievable and you know him well, and we don't talk about him much, this Danny Ainge guy. He is pretty unbelievable. On the court and off the court. Yeah. How does he put a team like this together, and how does he find Brad Stevens? Well, the big thing with Danny is he has guts, and I've said that about him. He, you know, I remember him telling me uh, that Red Auerbach had Parrish, Mikhail, Bird. They were getting older. They were getting offers from Mikhail. Dallas almost traded for Mikhail, Parrish. And, and Red's like, I'm not trading them. And Danny, I remember, I'll never forget it. Danny said to me in the prime of Pierce and Garnett when it was all going on, he said, I'm never going to make that mistake. And I thought, all right. And then, of course, he went out and did it. He traded Paul Pierce, who wanted to be a Celtic for life, and he traded Kevin Garnett. And at that moment, this is in hindsight, we were all like, as hard as this was, this is the best trade I've ever seen. And it's turned out to be that. Wow. So he just has guts. That's what separates him. He's not worried about what the owner thinks because he's, because the owner's going to keep him. He doesn't care about what the coach thinks, the players thinks. I mean, he and Brad Stevens, when he first brought Brad in, he'd bring in players to help, you know, this young coach who had never been in the NBA, guys like Tayshawn Prince. And then Brad would be like, oh, thanks, because Tayshawn's really settled our locker room. And then he goes, yeah, we're getting rid of him. <laughs> you know, so Danny does whatever he thinks is best. And, and, you know, it was the same thing with him and Doc, Doc Rivers. There was a lot of give and take. But Danny, Danny's going to do what he thinks is best, and he doesn't care what any of us think. But at the end of the day, how how wonderful and, and freeing is that to work for someone who lets you be you? Because that's usually when you're going to get the best product out of someone if they are great at what they do and they have guts. Well, and it's not like Brad doesn't have any input with Danny. They of work course. very closely together, and so did Doc and Danny. And even though their parting was a little controversial, mm-hmm. you know, when they see each other, every everything's fine. It's respect. It, it's respect. It's funny. Danny is... Um, you know, you talk to other GMs around the league, and it's not pleasant. And, you know, the famous, one of my favorite moments in NBA history me. was when the Miami Heat released a statement from Pat Riley using an expletive, the F1, by the way, uh-huh. to describe Danny Ainge. It, like, that was 
mm-hmm. released by the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. So that gives you an idea of how far Danny Ainge gets under people's skin. And that gives you an idea that Pat Riley don't give a F either. No, yeah. <laughs> that word as well. That's one of my all time favorites. Okay, Pat Riley. you talk about Pat Riley, which brings me to what we're going to talk about now. Well, since we're on the Lakers and the Celtics, yep. or the Celtics rather, he was the head coach during that rivalry yes, time, he was. and it was it was some. I mean, I grew up thinking this was it. That's all I knew. I was a kid. I didn't right. really know what was happening, but I did know that we weren't supposed to like that team over there in Boston. That no, were green. that's right. And and you were able to witness that. Would you not call that the greatest rivalry in sports, if not in basketball? It was for me. I mean, maybe because I was so because I was right there and I was seeing it and uh, and I saw the drama unfold. And you know, you think about Magic Johnson as a rookie, wins the NBA championship, plays all five positions because Kareem is hurt, and you think, well, wow, this kid should be in the Hall of Fame already. And then all of a sudden, finally, Boston and LA play each other in the 1984 Finals, and we're calling him Tragic Magic because he misses free throws, he dribbles out the clock, and you're like. Wow, maybe he isn't what we thought he was. Mm-hmm. But of course, Larry Bird's the greatest, two MVPs. And then all of a sudden, Irvin's working in the back. He's got his junior, junior hook. Yeah. He comes back. Junior, junior hook. Right? And he comes back in 87 <laughs> and wins the championship. And they go on to win five titles to the Celtics three. So what I loved was the personal drama. I mean, Pat Riley in the book that we did told us if we had lost in 1985, I was going to get fired. Wow. I was going to lose my job. Now wow. think about that. And then he went on to win three more. Yeah. Had no choice. Yeah. You um, you talked about that relationship. And it's so weird that they both are in the front office, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, in the same organizations that made them who they are. Uh, do you feel that, that they have mutual respect for one another or you think that Danny and Magic don't like each other to this day? Danny and Magic? Yeah. Oh, I think... I don't think they have much of a relationship. I mean, I, I think it's a... Casual. Friendly, casual. Sure. Hey, how you doing? Now, Larry and Irvin, that's a real one. They that's like That's for real. They love and, and they've been through a lot together, but the respect... They, they would do anything for one another. I don't think Danny would walk across the street for... <laughs> <laughs> Just being honest. Um, so Magic is credited. He and Rob Palenka are credited for bringing in this one kid named LeBron James. You heard of him? Mm-hmm. He does yeah. good. He I does think Jeannie Buss should be getting some of that love. Let's talk about your girl Jeannie for a second. Yeah, I love Jeannie Let's Bush. talk about her guts. I'm sorry. I, I do this and I forget. That's why I love having you on the show. I do this and we forget of what she had to do. She had to break family ties. To fire brothers, right? And Jeannie has been around a long time and I always like to hear about her. She was always, even when she wasn't in the front office like she is now, you know, more visible with the day-to-day basketball operations, she was always the representative at the Board of Governors. The only woman, I think almost every time, if not every time, in that room. And people would talk about how prepared she was, how important, you know, the importance to detail. And of course, her father was one of the greatest owners in sports. She was a great student. She learned. And she learned right at the knee of her dad and had a lot of courage to do what she did and to surround herself with people that... See, here's the thing about Irvin. Irvin, he has ADD, to be For fair. For sure. Okay? But when he's there and when he's present, he is the most charismatic person in the history of the world. That's For sure. Truth. When you're with Irvin, you're the only person in the room. You, he could convince Say it again, you. sister. Fly to the moon. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's what, and so <laughs> what better person to uh-huh. recruit free agents uh-huh. than Irvin Magic Johnson? And LeBron, who I've always thought, one of the things that I kind of like about LeBron, doesn't seem to be impressed by anybody except for maybe Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. I guess we can now add Irvin Magic Johnson so. to the list because he wooed him there. And so he is a great weapon for the Lakers, even if he isn't the day-to-day presence that maybe perhaps they thought he would be. Honest take, where's LeBron right now in, what is this year, 18 for him? Mm. I think it is. I'm not for sure. Right. Where is he as a player to you? Well, he's still at the top of his game. It's it's incredible how he's been able to maintain that. It's almost surreal sometimes, superhuman. But now he has the, the groin. That's an injury, I think, that could happen to anybody. But when you're older, 
you got to really be careful. So all this pressure on the Lakers to put him back out there, I would not do it. I, I might even, I'd sit him till after All-Star. I'd do whatever it takes to get him right. Because, you know, it's not about yeah. this year for LeBron or for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. It just isn't. Yeah. So if you need to get him. Why isn't it, though? And, I, and I'm they're not good enough. 16 years, but not what, good enough. why are they not good enough? If they were to able, they're not. If, if the Lakers are able to get AD, are they good enough to well, be in the sure. finals? Yeah. I, so do That's we, a pretty big lead. And you got you to give something up to get well, you know, you got to get a, you got to give up Kuzma, you got to give up Lonzo, you got to give Ingram. Is that is that worth AD? Oh, anything's worth AD. Okay. I always say to the Boston Celtics, you know, because the Celtics will be in on this too, as long as they can't trade for him before the deadline because they have already traded for Kyrie Irving. You can't, it's yes. called the Rose Rule. You can't trade for two of those in a calendar year. So they have to wait till July 1st before they can even think about trading for Anthony right. Davis, the Celtics. But Danny Ainge has been lusting after Anthony Davis since the day Anthony Davis. Who does he get rid of then? It'll be a very interesting question. If it were me, I'd give you anybody you want for Anthony. That's what I'm saying. Everybody's on the table. Yep. Everybody. Except for LeBron. Except for, you know, if you're Anthony <laughs> Davis, you don't want Kyrie Irving to go anywhere because you're going there to play with him. Yeah. So you, the Celtics, if it goes to July and it ends up, I think we all feel like maybe this is going to happen with Anthony Davis, although he's never said it, God bless him. He handles himself so professionally. Yeah. But if you start talking about what the best package is, yeah. the Celtics will be able to offer more than the Lakers. But if he Anthony, wants to play in L.A. Well, if he does, yeah. if he does and he doesn't want to play in Boston, then I guess this conversation is over. Well, I'm talking to you as a sheer fan. I'm telling you nothing. I know nothing, but I'm telling you <laughs> as a fan, he wants to play in L.A. Why not play with LeBron? Why not have the keys to the castle? Why well, not? Why not? Well, why not play part? with LeBron is a good question, because why won't anybody come and play with him? Why I don't would think Paul that he, I don't think Anthony Davis would. I think he's so confident in his game and he's and he's watched. I think Kyrie did everyone a favor by leaving and showing mm-hmm. how hard it is, yep. how he thought it would be great. Kyrie right. is giving everybody a, a first class lesson on how it's not <laughs> as easy as you think it would be if you leave LeBron James. It's right. just not, correct? Not right. that you have to work with him. But you're if, you're Anthony on your Davis, own. if you're Anthony Davis in the prime of your career and LeBron James is well, however old he is by the time, I, mean, I don't what is he? I, I think he's 34 now. I wish I somebody would get in my ear and give me some information. Sometimes I think yeah. he's 24. It's really hard for me to yeah. tell from day to day. Yeah. But if you're Anthony Davis, you should be the best player on that team. So are you going to be okay with LeBron still running the show? Well, I don't think and LeBron... And Kyrie will run the show. And I think LeBron will run the show in a very different way. You know what I mean? I think LeBron is aware of his... I think he is aware of his age. I think he he's aware of who he is and where he's at in right. his career. He's aware of who he is. Uh, he, he, he's quite convinced he's the greatest of all time. And he he did not, say that. He is not going to He's not gonna say, hey, AD, it's your team, man. Do what you want. That's just never going to happen. That's not going to happen, but he is going to say, you have knee, better knees than me, and you can get up and down the court faster right. than I, and my back's not that great. Well, and you know what? And maybe I can sit out some games when I while you're playing with me. And it, and and I'm the, the 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 signs of a good leader is to know when you know that every you need more help than you want to say. Well, you know of what course, I mean? and he knows that, and yeah. that's why this year. But that goes back to my original point. This year this doesn't year matter. Doesn't matter for the Lakers. It's about next year for the Celtics. This year might matter, but they if they're in a position to give up Tatum, which seems blasphemous because he's so young and so talented. Think of all the draft picks that they've. And stockpiling, yeah. they can put together a pretty nice package for Anthony Davis. I, I did, no, Boston has by far the best assets to offer. I, I just a matter of where you, because those are two different, two different teams, two different vibes, two different places, right. two different types Celtics of organizations. To, right, but the Celtics are closer to a championship. Oh, for sure. The Lakers are. And by the way, you've also identified your long-term coach in Brad Stevens. Yes. I think Luke Walton is a terrific coach, yes. but I don't like his chances because of all the forces around him that don't no seem to want him to stay here, which I think is so unfair. Why is that? So Why is that in your opinion? Why don't they want him? Because I hear the noise. I hear the noise from LeBron's camp. They do not think Luke Walton's the answer. I don't know why. I shame what, what did he do? I don't listen. 
you're you're preaching to the choir here. Luke Walton is is good a coach, and you know what? He'll be a, if for some reason something happens, and hopefully it won't. It shouldn't happen. But if it does, he'll be unemployed about 30 seconds. Okay, but who would... In, okay, let's just discuss this for a few seconds. No Luke Walton, the best viable option. Yeah. Some some people who work with us, well, I know. That's but what still, I always say. Who's next? I always say, if you don't want Luke, who do you want? Exactly. You want to bring Ty Lue back? No. Okay. You know they don't. Well, you know they don't. Well, so who... You know, LeBron, yeah, I guess he gets to pick his coach. I don't know. I just don't. I don't know. And I don't. Of I just don't think that's fair. I, don't, I think Luke course, Walton. It's a, it's a disservice to Luke Walton. And LeBron has tapped out of that conversation, uh, all conversations, because he is so connected. And that is one of the, in my opinion, the great things about who he is, and makes him greater than Jordan because he is so connected as a businessman. And some people feel like that's not fair, but I like the players taking ownership. I like. It. Well, he did that. That'll be his legacy. That will be his. He legacy. hijacked free agency, LeBron James. He hijacked I'm okay free with agency. All that. So am I. And it's empowered these players, Kevin Durant. All those guys should be thanking LeBron James. That's one of the things I like best about him. Who, in your opinion, is the greatest player of all time? Oh, I hate this question. I don't. And ask us, everyone who comes on this show, they hate it. I do, because (laughs) I just think to to compare generations is absurd. Why? Why is it absurd? Well, for instance, Bill, let's take Bill Russell, who won 11 championships in 13 years. I would say that makes you an incredible champion. Sure. Okay? And the two seasons they didn't win, by the way, he was injured. He was hurt. He was beat up. Okay? But he is nowhere near the offensive player that LeBron James or Michael Jordan. Not even close. In fact, they used to, again, I go back to the book. I guess it's called self-promotion. But <laughs> we, had a, we had a quote from the great Thatch Sanders who played with Russell said that when he used to get the ball and try to shoot it, he, he looked at it like it was a snake. Yeah. I mean, he was not a great offensive force. Yeah. But he was such a team player and one of the most dominant defensive players you'll ever see in your life. Because he would not just block shots. He'd block them and direct them to the, you know, the koozie down the, uh-huh. on the break. So is he the greatest? Well, he was in my mind till I covered Michael Jordan and went through all those dynasties. And then I had to say, you know what? He's the best player. He's the best killer I've ever seen. He's the best two-way player I've ever seen. Now, here comes LeBron. LeBron's the most dominant player, but Michael Jordan's the best player. And here, I'll just confuse you a little more. If there's if, if my team has the ball with five seconds left and I'd see one take a shot, I'm not choosing either one of them. I'm choosing Larry Bird. <laughs> You're not choosing Magic? No, I'm choosing Larry Bird. Ob- shot. Oh, my God. I'm shot. Going, I'm, going, shot. I'm going Magic and then Kobe. I'm all fan. I'm all fan. I'm all fan. I want Kobe day to day, night to night, but not like with a game on the line. Maybe Ray Allen might be my other choice. You okay? You wouldn't choose Magic? Game on the line? No, you wouldn't. Larry Bird is the greatest closer when it comes to that, and Ray Allen's right there. Ray Allen, how about that shot against? Oh yeah, the step Spurs? back three. He, he doesn't. Yeah. He, he, he didn't even his, look. He just knew where it was. And, and if he puts his yeah. hands down, he's out of bounds. I was in. I was. In By the way, the what arena. about Steph Curry? Should we talk about maybe no, wanting him to have I, the I, shot? No, I don't want Steph to have it because I, I don't feel like Steph. He's just not there yet. I don't want to give him that. But I was in the well, arena. I, would take I, him. I, I look. I saw Ray. I'm right there with you. I was like, that was special because it yeah. was automatic. And I saw him do it night after night after night. None of it by accident, by the way. Nobody worked harder at his craft than Ray. I just feel like magic always makes something happen. I, no, I felt like, no, I felt like there was just no way. Well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not down on magic. Yeah, I'd be crazy. But you're if going. I was. You're going. I'm just talking about game on the line. You're going. You're going to give it to Larry Bird, and then you're going to give it to Ray Allen. Maybe. And then Steph Curry. Maybe. Jackie Mack. And I'm then talking about shooting. No, I'm just talking about clutch shooting. You're not so like LeBron. So there's no magic in there at all. Well, it's not that I don't think. Ma- if you ask me, you're not. If, gonna- if, if you ask me after it's all said and done, and yeah. this is going to pain me to say this, at you you have Larry Bird and Irvin Magic Johnson, and you pick one to lead your franchise. I'm picking Irvin. Of course. So it's not like I'm not saying Irvin is one of the all-time. Just we're talking about a situation. Okay. There's five seconds left. 
and we got to get a game-winning shot. And I'm telling you, any, uh, around all the greats that I've been around, I can't believe you're not giving at least an MJ. You know, well, and well Michael, no, Michael, I, Michael, I'm not. I'm just talking about shooting now. If you say you get the ball, you can drive to the hole. I'll okay, but you're just saying take LeBron a shot. I'm talking about pure you got, shooting. Uh, you got to take a, a buzzer okay. beater. Okay. So, so, so pure shooting, I understand that you, I understand. Yep. We're, and then to lead a franchise, you're giving it to Magic. Over Larry, yeah. Over Larry. But I mean, I, I, give me Michael Jordan all day, every day. Cause to you, he's the greatest of all time. He, he kind of is, I guess, to me. Yeah. And it's hard for me. I love Russell. I know him personally. He's been great to me. Cause you see, I appreciate, talking. appreciate yeah. everything. I mean, 11 out of 13. That's why I, I just think it. it's hard to compare the two cause they're you're very, right. very different. But Jordan to me, he was just, I don't know. There was something about him, something special, killer mentality. Killer mentality that LeBron's had to learn to have. He had it all the time. And it was by the instinct. way, so did Larry, so did Irvin. And so did Kobe. And so did Kobe. They all had it start to finish. It's something that LeBron's evolved to learn. Yeah. And it's time to kill. Le- LeBron, like, he's a power four. He's like a linebacker in sure. a power four. I mean, sure. he's just incredible. It's Whenever you say who's the best, you feel like you're dissing the other guy. They're all, I'll take them all. And you know what? to me. Hey, what's interesting too? Like what about Oscar Robertson? Yeah, yeah, we didn't say anything about him. Yeah. What's yeah. interesting? You said it best, I think. It's situational goats. Like there is situational not, goats. I do. Is, I, I like to play that game. It's a situational goat because there's no there's. It's all about definition and how you define who the greatest is. Like who, when we're in the open floor and we're running down the floor, is there anybody else on this earth you want more than Irvin Magic Johnson? No, nope. I'll get dish it and it's I got it. I'm ready. There's nobody more beautiful and no, masterful cute. than that. Yeah. I, I, well, who so knows? There you go. Here we go, but I'm all Lakers. So see, she's fair. She's an objective journalist, although she did name three Celtics before she finally got <laughs> to Magic. No, you only named two. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you went, you went. No, I mean, Michael shot. Jordan. We just decided. Michael Jordan. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm right. settling on MJ. Um, I have to end on your book. I got to tell everyone it's coming out in paperback right now. It's in hardback, hardback, right? Hardcover. Yep. Hardcover. Okay. Is, I'm not sure when it's coming out in paperback, but it is coming. Okay. So it's basketball, a love, love story. story. Folks, please go out and get it. You will get a full education. Did you not just get an education with Jackie Mack? Is she not the best? And when I say this, I'm not just saying it. You are one of the reasons why I do what I do. Well, everyone is a fan and they respect you. And if I could only have a tenth of the career that you have You're had. on your way, girlfriend. You're on your way. I would have made it, honey. You're I would be. Top. There. I'd be a situational goat. I'd like you well, are, Jackie. All right, come on. Give me just a few more years. Give me just a few. You don't more. even have any wrinkles yet. Yeah, almost, almost. <laughs> Jackie Mack, thank you so much all for right, joining us here you. on Be Honest. And guess what, folks? We're not done with trailblazing women. Coming up next, a dear friend of mine who wrote another book. It's the ladies with the books. Uh, Amy Stanton and the Feminine Revolution. That's on the other side of the break. You don't want to miss it. Coming up on the other side of the break, I sat down with my friend and author of Feminine Revolution, Amy Stanton. But first, make sure you're subscribed to Be Honest on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Be Honest. This week, I have a close personal friend here with me, Amy Stanton. She is the author of the book, The Feminine Revolution. She wrote it with her friend, Catherine Connors. Thank you so much for being here. Um, this book, not even just a plug, I'm in it, so I'm excited. That's not the only reason why you're here, though. Um, a conversation that's being had, especially um, in conversations with women like ourselves, is about how we can take back certain qualities that were once considered weak and use them to our our strengths, if you will, or, or, or for our benefit. So talk to me about the inspiration for this book. Why did you decide to write this? Well, it really started as a result of my personal experience, and I was starting to feel like I had developed this very tough, assertive work persona, and it was serving me in a lot of ways. And... 
taking on more masculine qualities in order to thrive in my work. And those masculine qualities are super important. My toughness, my assertiveness, my confidence. But I wondered if it was, I was starting to lose touch with some of my more feminine qualities, my emotionality, my sensitivity, which are really a huge part of me and really important, not just in my personal relationships, but also in the workplace. And I started wondering if the reason I hadn't met Prince Charming <laughs> was because I'd become too tough. Yeah. And so I started this exploration, started talking to lots of other women, observing lots of women in my life. Many women who I felt had it all, but still were struggling with some of the same things. And so the journey began. And then I met Catherine several years ago, and we started talking about it. And last year I said to Catherine, let's just do this together, yeah. because this is a book that needs to be written. So many amazing conversations about femininity, about feminism uh -huh. and female empowerment sure. and equal rights and all those important things, but no one was talking about femininity. What about that word turns people off? I feel as if I use the F word, the other F word. People are immediately turned off. They don't want to hear about it. They're like, never mind. I, what, you know, men are immediately up in arms. They are, they're on defense. Why is that? Well, that's what we're, exactly what we're going to change. I think it stems from the fact that First of all, people perceive femininity as a weakness and feminine qualities as weaknesses. So how many times have young girls and women been told we're too sensitive mm. or we're too emotional? And those are never told to us in a positive way. Okay, wait. So those are the feminine qualities. But when you hear about feminism, you feel as if mm. you are on defense. So how do you marry the two in this book? Well, femininity and feminism can go hand in hand. Yeah. I think lots of feminists feel like femininity might be a step backwards, but we're actually saying quite the opposite. There's power and strength in femininity. There's these qualities that have been perceived as weak are actually allow us to be our best and most powerful. And it's interesting. One of the things we learned as we were talking to women is that some people question whether they can be a feminist and fighting for equal white rights and fighting the good fight, sure. which I think is the piece that sometimes turns men off Yeah, and still be soft and gentle with grace. And, and the answer is yes, okay, we can. So I lay sigh because why are we even having this conversation? Do you think men are sitting around saying, God, it was just too tough today in the office? Uh, you know what? I, I, I might have hurt someone's feelings when I asked that question on television. They don't even think that way. Why, why are we taught or conditioned to feel as if we have to act a certain way? I'm glad you bring it up because we're beating ourselves up. This is the first thing that needs to change. We have been conditioned. Mm -hmm. And again, let's just take the work piece of it. Obviously, many of us modeled ourselves as leaders after men because for the longest time, all the leaders were men. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that we would develop these more masculine qualities. But times are changing. And I think it's more obvious than ever, not just in the workplace, but more broadly in politics and society that toxic masculinity is at the heart of so many of today's problems. For and sure. it's possible we believe that actually powerful femininity may be the solution. Oh, well, okay, so I get so many different mixed messages. In my mind, I look, and you, you're having this conversation with me. We've talked about it personally. Yes. Over wine, lots and lots <laughs> of wine. Um, I struggle with, you know, finding the balance. And I, I, I know that I've been in situations, especially early in my career, where I've, I've cried in the office. And, and the boss is like, wait, hold on. Do you do you just want to leave? Like, to me, nothing is wrong with that. Nothing is wrong with showing emotion. But we, again, 
are are always shown the opposite. We're not told that it's okay. So, but I do believe there is a part uh, of every woman that should be in touch with with what works, for lack of a better word. Like, you know, certain men can't, you know, turn down a, a crying woman or a, a damsel in distress, if you will. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But why not? Why not use that? Is that is are there tips here in this book? Of course there are that we can use. <laughs> Well, first of all, I'm really glad you brought up crying because it's one of my personal favorites. Okay. We have a chapter called Cry Openly mm. because we're actually saying, go for it. If you need to cry, cry and don't feel bad about it yeah. because crying actually can bring us together. It allows someone to actually see you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes crying can actually even be an opportunity for you to express yourself and express the reasons you are crying. So use it to your advantage. Instead of what we normally do, which is we burst into tears and then we start panicking about the fact that we're crying, right? which becomes a whole problem in and of itself. <laughs> Instead, why don't you cry and then say to the other person, I'm getting emotional because I care so much about this conversation. Or I'm getting emotional because I care so much about this job. Or you get okay, but Amy, you're telling us I agree with you. You're yeah. telling us the opposite of whatever the boss tells us. Exactly. So we just have to start the revolution. We do because the revolution has to carry. Have you ever gotten up in the morning and you're getting ready for work and you think, I hope today I burst into tears <laughs> in my boss's office? Because Usually that's not the circumstance. And I think that's something to take into account. It is a loss of control. So if it's going to happen, deal with it in a productive way and allow it to bring you closer to the person that you're crying to. Oh, gosh. Try it. Oh, shall I? Okay, okay. You want to try now? No, I think of this, I'm laughing because, okay, I think of my, for instance, the producer, Jessica, who's working on this show that we're on right now, she has uh, such a softer side to her and people really appreciate her. And I think that helps her get along in different circles and people understand her and they're more willing to help her. But, you know, I come in like a bull in the China cabinet. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. But I am super sensitive. It's usually the people that act that way are the most sensitive. It's so true. And I think you and I are more alike in that way mm-hmm. where we have this one side of us that is tough and direct and everyone thinks, wow, we have it all together. And at the same time, there's this big counterpoint, which is we're super sensitive and soft and criers and emotional. And we want that part to be recognized too. And we want to be able to show it. And it's hard. And And honestly, I think it plays out for both of us in personal relationships where we have the same issue. We're so used to walking around with armor that it's really hard to then go into a romantic relationship and suddenly be a totally different person. Are you so, trying to say that's why I ain't got no booze? Is that what you're going to Amy, I have plenty of booze. I mean... I'm feeling tough right rest now. Assured, <laughs> rest assured. Rest I'm aware of how in demand you are. I, I know. I got booze. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm no. totally the tough girl. Put her away. Amy, you are right. Right, right now. That would be amazing. If I just started crying. I so much. Okay, so, so as, you, as you are telling everyone about this book right now, if, if I uh, hadn't read the book, give me your your biggest takeaways to walk into society with, walk into work with, walk into your relationship with. Give me a couple of takeaways. This is all about authenticity. And it starts with figuring out who are you? So we're taking all these things that we've been avoiding for however long. Our emotionality, our sensitivity, our vulnerability, the fact that we cry easily, the fact that we're mothering, the fact that we're controlling. Think of all the different ways women have been criticized for these perceived feminine qualities. We're saying... Look at them more closely, recognize them as superpowers, 
and then start integrating them in your day to day. Now that starts with just observing it in your own life and saying, you know what? Doesn't mean let's wake up tomorrow and walk in <laughs> as a whole new feminine self because you know got an inch in, inches yeah. forward. But yeah. it's really about looking more closely as you go through the day at what you're bringing to the table. As an example, as we were writing this book, of course there were moments that were a little bit challenging, as there is always. Huh. And at those moments, I would say to myself, okay, instead of getting to my fight or flight mode where I want to be tough guy and battle it out. I go, what is the most feminine way to approach this? How can I bring more grace to the situation? Mm. How can I walk the walk? Mm. And we can do that all day, mm. every day. Mm. Mm-hmm. How many times have you had a conversation or a call <laughs> where you get off and you're like, ugh, I just didn't love the way I was mm-hmm. on that call. I mm-hmm. wish I could have just been a little more relaxed, brought a little more grace, gone with the flow that's a little rare. more. That's rare. You never me. feel that I way. I just... <laughs> Go with okay. the <laughs> Gosh, I can help anybody. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, hypothetically, yes, maybe like, dig really, really deep. Am I dig- Come up with a day that you might have been a little tougher than you needed to be in your mind. <laughs> Just imagine. It feels great, the thought of it, and I really, really hope that I can put this into play. But more importantly, I want everyone to read your book. Um, especially women today who feel like there's usually it's two spectrums that I've noticed. One end is that I want to be um, a businesswoman. I want to be powerful. And we feel as if power means we can't be weak. And that's just not true. Um, and I always and you've heard this saying, check in on your strong friend because they're usually tired and they're usually weak and there's nothing wrong with that. So um, you are so gracious and kind and loving. Thank you so much. Where can everyone purchase book available in all bookstores online what's the situation amazon bookstores you name it so that's a great starting point then we also have a website for the book feminineRevolutionBook.com. feminineRevolutionBook.com. yes and we're on social media feminine revolution book okay at instagram is that an at yes okay all right absolutely i'm so proud of you thank you You, you're going to change the world you're already doing that you are the change you want to see and i appreciate it well i first of all it was such an honor for you to be part of the book it's true and i really do believe wholeheartedly that it starts with us and we need to see a cultural shift and if we don't take a look at it and start to take matters into our own hands Mm -hmm. who will nobody will amy stanton good friend and now author and just all around badass. I appreciate you for being on Be Honest. I appreciate you for having me. Of course. Thank you. Oh my goodness, this was a great podcast. This is exactly what this podcast is all about. And folks, make sure you do me a favor. Are you subscribed to Be Honest? You can do so on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been an amazing edition of Be Honest, if I have to say so myself. See you next week.